Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This is an Irish independent podcast. What I believe is an unsolvable equation because either technologically it is encrypted and that keeps it secret from anyone but the people speaking or the encryption is undermined. We live in a world of mass network surveillance. We have massive surveillance companies primarily based in the US who have staggering amounts of information, some of it collected from us, some of us collected from our friends, some of it implied and inferred and made up by AI systems that then analyze that data. It is staggering. It's difficult to imagine. You can't see it in one glance, but it is the reality we're living in. And that is shaping our world, our institutions, our economies in ways that are very hard to detect. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show. I'm Adrian Weckler. Meredith Whitaker is one of the most important figures in the world of privacy. As president of Signal, the encrypted messaging app, she has been a leading voice in fierce debates over the UK's online safety bill and the privacy downsides of AI. At this year's Web Summit, I sat down with Meredith to talk all things apps and privacy, including whether Signal would leave the Irish market if the new Online Safety Commissioner rules that encrypted apps must scan for legal content. This is how the conversation went. Meredith Whitaker, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again at the Web Summit. Now, we've seen other big tech services start to encrypt their messages and their messaging. Some of them have been doing so for a few years. I want to start off by asking whether you think that this in general is a good thing, but also whether you think this might dilute the reason that people might choose Signal over other messaging services. Great to be here, Adrian. And that's a really good question. I think, look, first question first, I think it is a good thing. I think more privacy in an ecosystem defined by surveillance that redounds to the benefit of a handful of centralized actors is always good. And the stakes are very high. These companies have already been shown to turn over unencrypted messages that they have access to to law enforcement. There was one case in the U.S. where... A woman and her daughter are now facing prison sentences for uh, working to avail themselves of reproductive health care in the state of Nebraska after that state, of course, banned that. That was a shocking case. It was a shocking case. And Facebook played a 
pivotal role in turning over the messages that were used as key evidence to convict them. Mm. So, for, for listeners who aren't fully uh, aware of that case, that was around about the time that Roe versus Wade was being overturned, uh, I think, and and the the person involved. Uh, I think they were prosecuted in Nebraska. If I'm, if it was I'm Nebraska, not mistaken. Yeah. yeah, and it wasn't overturned. It was kicked back to the states. Kicked Many of whom, states, like yes. Nebraska. Mm then eagerly took the opportunity to effectively overturn it. And it was a 41-year-old mother and her 17-year-old daughter. And the prosecution involved a key evidence there were included in uh, Facebook Messenger messages, which, because they weren't encrypted, could be used by police as evidence. Exactly. And, you know, a subpoena to Facebook, and there you go. So I come from a place where this is not hypothetical, where we've already rolled down the slippery slope to some extent and where we're looking at the criminalization of certain forms of expression, again, the access to health care accelerating in many regions of the U.S. We have books being banned. We have certain forms of expression being curtailed. So I think we need to put that question into that context. So anything that provides more privacy is, in my view, good. I think I am not concerned about that diluting face, uh, Signal's market share. And I'm lucky that way because Signal's a nonprofit. Mm. We're not aiming for profit and growth and you know, a board report every quarter that shows that we grow always and forever. We're aiming to provide an alternative to the surveillance tech that at this point permeates our life. So either we do that and that's our goal. Uh, And we are fully committed to providing a meaningful tool for private communication. And happily, we're the most widely used, truly private messaging app on the planet. But if someone else wants to pick up that mantle, we are happy about that. We, in, in fact, we created the core technology that WhatsApp, Facebook, Google, and others use to encrypt their messages. So we are happy to pass that around and we're happy for others to be joining the uh, push toward privacy. I think there's one more point I'd like to make there and that is that you know, Signal encrypts the messages. So what you say, uh, the images you send, we don't know those, no one but the people you're sending those to know them. But we go well beyond that in a way that other messengers don't. And this is important. We also protect the metadata. So that's a technical sounding term that's actually extremely profound because metadata means information about you, information about who you talk to, information about your social network, who you're in relationship with, information about your profile pictures, your profile name, and particularly in the age of large AI systems that can make intimate inferences based on small amounts of data, metadata is increasingly valuable. So Signal provides a full suite of protections, which is still unlike any other messenger, uh, any other widely used messenger out there. Yeah, I'll come back to Signal's features and what it can and sometimes cannot protect against. But I think you have made the point before in relation to Signal, compared to an app like Telegram, for example, which often enters the conversation when we're talking about encrypted uh, apps. Signal's often compared to Telegram, but you have sometimes been critical of of Telegram as not being totally signed up to end-to-end encryption and even for cooperating with uh, government requests, as apparently happened um, with the Iraqi government. Um, 
Are they essentially the same, though, for privacy? No, no. Telegram talks a big game, but they can't be considered a private app. And that's a problem because it's hard for people on the outside to tell. You have to go through arcane code bases. You have to look carefully. You have to test the cryptographic protocols. There's a lot of expertise involved. So it's no fault of the people who use Telegram for believing that they're a private app because their CEO and the company make a lot of claims. However, they provide very little privacy. They have one feature that you have to choose to use. So it's not on by default, which will encrypt the contents of your messages in conversations with one other person. So they don't provide encrypted groups. They don't provide encrypted metadata. And in fact, their data security path practices are notoriously bad. So this is an example of the ratio between marketing and reality being incredibly skewed in ways that could, frankly, endanger people. In Europe, you're probably best known for entering the public dialogue over the last year in relation to the, uh, the online safety bill in mm -hmm. the UK. And that was a bill where the UK had been threatening to force uh, messaging uh, apps to scan for illegal content, such as child abuse image, imagery, but conceded at the last moment that scanning would only be required if and when it was, quote unquote, technically feasible. Now, as I said, you were very vocal in that debate. Do you expect those technically feasible conditions to occur and... If not, do you expect the UK to have another go at making apps like Signal to Scan? Well, I don't want to predict what will happen in the UK because it is a volatile circus politically. So, and I am an American, so my instinct on the UK's political climate is, you know, needs to be filtered through that reality. Mm -hmm. uh, however, we just saw the 1700 page Ofcom consultation relating to this bill. And it does appear, now, we're a small team. This is an aside here, but we are a small team. I am one person. We have, you know, extraordinarily competent people, but we don't have an army of policy folks able to divide up 1,700 pages and prepare a, you know, written precise in the morning that I can, you know, easily digest. So this is, again, the compliance burden is high here. But with that caveat, the caveat that I have not spent a week and a half reading 1700 pages closely, it does appear that end-to-end -end encrypted messaging is exempt in that document from the scanning requirements. Now, there may be caveats to that, and I don't want to, I don't want to state that as gospel again, um, but, you know, that's, that's good, right? Mm -hmm. That recognizes that the, the magical thinking that was undergirding the online safety bill now act was clarified a bit at the last minute. But I don't, you know, in no place in the world do I expect this fight to ever end because there is a fundamental tension between the desires of some in law enforcement and the security services, the desires of some in government who, you know, reach for tools of social control and end-to-end -end encryption that is deployed widely. End-to-end -end encryption provides the kind of privacy that, in our case, signal cannot break that the government cannot break, that no one can undermine. And that's the only kind of privacy that actually exists. Because if you collect the data, it can be breached, you can be leveraged to share it. Uh, it, it is, you know, it exists and at some point it will likely uh, 
get out. And so I think there is this fundamental. That was Apple's point. This was Apple's point. Yeah. yeah. And Apple, you know, look, Apple is a you know trillion dollar market cap company. I think I think they're close to three. I think they're three over trillion. two trillion now. Yeah. I'm sorry, I grew up poor, so those numbers don't <laughs> totally make sense to me. But I trust that three trillion is a number, and that somehow one entity in the world has access to all of those resources. Mm. And I know that that access buys them the best cryptographer, some of the best cryptographers in the world, buys them extraordinarily talented software engineering teams, buys them labor that can be a backstop against errors or other issues in these complex systems, and even with more money than God. They tried to create a system that they hoped could privately and safely scan the contents of all end-to-end encrypted messaging and you know, not break encryption. And they flatly came out after having to shelve the project you know, once, after iterating, I imagine, on what they built and said, it is not possible to do this. So if Apple is saying it's not possible, there's no way a small startup given 100K by the UK government you know, to create a prototype is going to somehow magically solve what I believe is an unsolvable equation. Because either technologically it is encrypted and that keeps it secret from anyone but the people speaking or the encryption is undermined. Whether that is a front door, a back door, or a side door, it doesn't matter. It's, it really is a binary choice technologically. And yet, as you suggest, countries will probably not give up on this. I mean, we've uh, seen the Australian e-safety commissioner, Julie Inman Grant, for example, repeatedly indicating that Australia will require some sort of scanning technology as a regulatory uh, rule. Um, the Irish uh, Digital Safety Commission in an interview with me several months ago indicated that Ireland was following very closely what Australia was doing. Those two regulators are in touch uh, quite a lot and might consider a, a similar re- requirement. Now, Signal has said uh, that in those circumstances where it does not believe that such a technology can be introduced safely, that it would have no choice to, to leave the market. That was in the, the context of the UK debate or, or words to that effect. I know that you clarified that position once or twice, but if a country like Australia or a country like Ireland were to con- continue with that idea of requiring um, apps or platforms to scan for illegal content, could Signal continue to operate there? Well, I think our position doesn't change based on jurisdiction. If the choice came down to implementing a backdoor via scanning or leaving, we would leave because we will not undermine the encryption that is the guarantor of the privacy promises we make the people who rely on Signal. So that is a non-starter. And that position is that is an indelible position. It will last as as long as I'm overseeing Mm. this. Now, you know, the question of what kind of scanning, the question of, you know, it's unclear, right? And, uh, you know, the Australian position, you saw the Attorney General's office, on the other hand, reaffirm a commitment to encryption and privacy. So it's clear there are tensions and perhaps misunderstandings within government. I, uh, you know, I agree, as I stated, this is not going to go away. I think we will continue to have to fight this battle just as we fought it since, you know, before the early 90s, you know, having you know beginning continuing to defend the right to privacy against the temptation of you know mass network surveillance and 
you know, let's be clear. We live in a world of mass network surveillance. We have massive surveillance companies, primarily based in the U.S., who have staggering amounts of information, some of it collected from us, some of us collect collected from our friends, some of it implied and inferred and made up by AI systems that then analyze that data. It is staggering. It's difficult to imagine. You can't see it in one glance, but it is the reality we're living in. And that is shaping our you know, world, our institutions, our economies in ways that are very hard to detect. I'm, I'm going to ask you about AI in, in one second, but just for those who don't understand encryption or how it works and who think that there are areas of grey and but who may have a strong view on the debate of whether or not platforms should scan, I, I often hear them say they must have a way of getting into that content. They just don't want to. What do you say to that? Well, I want to break down a couple things here because I think that was actually a very, it was a great question uh, and gives me some room. Um, I think we need to be clear what we're talking about when we talk about a platform, right? Because if you're talking about a massive centralized social media platform where people post their content publicly, where virality is not only possible, it is encouraged where you can encounter strangers here, there and everywhere and disseminate information very rapidly, that's a completely different beast. And yes, scanning may be completely appropriate because while I don't think we should have a world with that type of centralized information infrastructure, particularly for profit, I don't think I've ever seen a web forum from Usenet to Facebook that doesn't have some kind of moderation, doesn't have some kind of way to you know remove spam and trolls and that one guy who won't shut up about the one thing, right? Like, I've been online for a long time. So I, you know, what I'm not talking about are the different moderation tasks that these platforms employ. I've never seen anything that doesn't require moderation. Now, do I want to trust that to Facebook or Facebook in partnership with the government? Absolutely, I do not. That's the fundamental problem. They need moderation, but the people in charge of moderating them should not be defining our information ecosystem from the place they stand. Now, what is Signal? Signal is an interpersonal communication app. We are not a social media platform. We're not a media broadcast platform. Those afford, you know, the ability to just post a picture and have it go to everyone and have everyone share it with everyone else does not exist in Signal, and that's for a reason. So, yeah, we, you know, what we would then be doing is breaking encryption, which either works or it doesn't. There is no secret way we're hiding from you because we simply don't want to do this. It's math, right? And you break the math the whole thing stops making sense and it's no longer providing privacy. And we also design it so that we are making safety choices in the beginning. We're making sure that you can't just reach out and say, hey, uh, we're making sure that we don't have channels like Telegram, which are effectively media broadcast you know, forms that put us more into a public broadcasting than a, a messaging app category. And you know, thinking very clearly at that level, about how do we provide meaningful privacy and how do we do it in a way that doesn't replicate the pathologies of these large tech platforms that are, of course, driven by engagement, driven by you know, growth and profit, which we are not. Speaking of engagement for a moment, how are um, Signal's uh, features getting on with stories, for example? And I know you recently introduced, for example, message scheduling, text formatting, uh, cut copy options in recent updates, and, and now even testing uh, usernames, I think, as a, well of, a way of helping anonymity. Um, 
How are those features getting on? Why are you testing usernames? Well, we're testing usernames among a small number of people to make sure that they work, to make sure we catch any issues, to make sure we get good feedback from engaged you know, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really excited to launch them. Uh, our features are, they're going really well. And you'll see small features and large features. The stories feature is really popular. Um, I realize it's the only place I now feel comfortable sharing public photography that I do. It used to be such a joy for me, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I first got a camera and I was, you know, a teenager to go out and just take pictures of the streets. And then I, there was some point at which I realized, oh, I'm posting strangers biometric information on a surveillance platform and, you know, now Clearview or, you know, even Facebook with, you know, the deep face model they built in 2014 or, or some other entity can use this to potentially harm them. And it was, you know, it really kind of took away this this practice I really enjoyed. So being able to do that on Signal has, um, you know, I feel ethical about well, it. Well, I think most of our listeners will agree uh, instinctively with what you're saying. It's also quite a dark vision of the world, though, isn't it? That when you take a photograph of somebody, it, you're not just doing it for out of artistry or joy or because you want to share uh, a moment that you're feeling, but that you're worried now you have to worry about compromising the privacy maybe in a bad way if somebody you're photographing. Well, it's a it's a grim vision, perhaps. Mm. It's a grim reality we mm. live in. We ceded ground to a handful of companies without checking twice, and now we are living the costs of that original sin. So, you know, Signal is a small entree into doing it differently. We are swimming upstream against an ecosystem defined by that kind of stifling surveillance. Mm. But... You know, we're doing it, and I'm pr- I'm proud to be on this side. I asked you last year whether you thought there was any difference in being in Europe and the U.S. with regard to these big issue questions and the approach taken and the rights that you have and the, the maybe the remedies you have. And you were a little on the fence at that point. You thought the the intent and the spirit is here, but maybe the remedies aren't quite here yet. Do you, have you changed your view on that at all? Um. Yeah, the spirit is here. I am cautiously optimistic but i think the thing that europe in general needs to square is do they want to check the harms of these business models in this business or do they want to get a piece and that tension has led to oddly compromised legislation or simply a lack of enforcement i mean of it's a bit like of both GDPR, right yep. but you can't have both right right and i will assert categorically that there is no possibility in the current tech ecosystem of building a brand new national champion, of replicating a Google or an Amazon or a Microsoft or a Facebook or a Baidu Hmm. because of the nature of those business models, because of the global reach of those business models and because of the lock-in that the network effect enables. And so I do think there's a lot of room for Europe to draw some pretty powerful boundaries to say this is no longer acceptable we are atoning for the sins of the Mm. 90s but we are and we're going to put restrictions here and as we grow european technology we're going to do it in a much more mindful much more small scale much less surveillant way i think there's an appetite for that but there needs to be a decision made concretely and they're being lobbied uh powerfully uh so you know i'm gonna light a candle and knock on wood I'd say that a lot of us light and candles. Uh, I have two more questions for you only. One is about AI, which you alluded to earlier on, and you've described that as 
a, a surveillance technology. Now, AI is, everyone talks about AI at the moment. It is the buzz, the zeitgeist topic in tech uh, at the moment. Um, first of all, can you explain why you regard it fundamentally as a surveillance technology? And then second of all, maybe you might give me your view on whether you think the big tech companies who are currently sounding the alarm and joining summits to talk about the existential threat of AI, whether or not you believe there's bona fides there? Well, I'll answer the first question first around AI and surveillance, because I think some of the connections are obvious. I think some of them are a bit less obvious. So AI is built on top of the surveillance business model. This is the business model that emerged out of the Clinton era neoliberal consensus that decided to put zero regulations on privacy as the internet was commercialized while endorsing an advertising business model that incentivized surveillance so that you could then sell you know, very particular demographic pro profiles to advertisement. And that got the whole thing kicked off, right? So in around 2012, you had a an inflection point in the quote-unquote AI ecosystem in which techniques that were actually developed in the late 1980s were shown to be wildly effective when they were matched with huge amounts of structured data, surveillance data, and massive amounts of computational power. So exactly the resources that these surveillance giants had accrued for themselves through building up their monopoly business models and that very few people had access to. So that was the inflection point that started this big and kind of recurring AI hype cycle that we're living through another moment of now in 2012. So AI requires the exact type of surveillance data that is collected and cre created by these same companies. And it requires the huge amounts of computational capacity again, pooled in the hands of these companies. So it is, in that way, a derivative of surveillance. It is a way to make more money, grow more market on the back of the data and infrastructure that were already in the hands of those businesses. But of course, it also produces surveillance data. So we walk down the street, an obvious example is facial recognition. Of course, that is surveillance. But there are other ways it produces surveillance data. You at, you know put in, give me a biography of Meredith Whitaker to ChatGPT. It will spit out something that is you know kind of shaped like my biography. Have but you tried that? No, I don't. No, I have a. I have. I don't. Ah, no. I have a lot. I'll to try do. it after this yeah, podcast. Try it. I guess. I mean, it. You know, Saturday night. What are you doing? Maybe you want to Google yourself. Um, Every Saturday. Um, yeah. I have not. <laughs> I have not tried it. But you know, I think that needs to also be considered a form of surveillance data, where it, it may not be correct. Hmm. It may be full of holes. But nonetheless, it's creating data about me that then enters an ecology that can affect me, that is pooled in the hands of powerful actors who can use that in ways that could discipline me or people like me. So we need to recognize that this is a surveillance feedback loop and that only a handful of companies, these same surveillance companies, have the infrastructure and resources to create what we're now calling AI, this bigger is better, huge data, huge compute models that are dominating the conversation. Mm. Okay, I have one final question for you. You're one of a few very high, you 
one of the remaining high-profile speakers, I, you basically a headline speaker at the Web Summit. Congratulations, uh, by, by the way. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, can I ask whether the recent controversy um, over Paddy Cosgrave's remarks, did that cause you at any point um, any pause for thought about participating in the event? Look, I've been really outspoken about my views on free expression and mm-hmm. free speech. Mm-hmm. And my biggest concern now is living in a world where there are things that are up for discussion among reasonable, reasoned people that may echo the views of, say, Amnesty or other respected international bodies that are suddenly so dangerous to even speak Mm. that they become opaque and taboo. I think that is an incredibly dangerous world. And that was the president of the Signal Foundation, Meredith Whittaker. My thanks to J.J. Clark, who produced this episode, and to Gavin Hennessy on sound. I'm Adrian Weckler, and we'll be back again soon. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. 